It's that time of year again. Time for Honest Black Friday sale. Starting on Thanksgiving, November 22nd, Honest's biggest sale of the year will deliver the deepest discounts on all of your favorite products. Nothing is off limits. The number one selling nootropic alpha brain, all Marvel and Star Wars fitness equipment, even our complete day and night supplement packs, Total Human. And to top it off, for the first time ever, Onnit is thrilled to offer free shipping. Say what? Some exclusions apply. 25% off supplements, 18% off fitness, including Star Wars and Marvel, and certifications, 20% off foods, 50% off DVDs and books. Who doesn't love DVDs and books? 30% off apparel and personal care. In addition to massive price cuts, the more you buy, the more awesomeness you unlock. A $10 coupon, free shipping, and free premium gifts are all available this year. Make 2019 the best year of your life by stocking up now. Actually, that sounds like some bullshit. What I mean to say is 2019's coming. You're going to want to fucking buy these supplements, and you damn sure want to stock up when they're at their cheapest point, which only happens once a year right now. So pony up the cheese, do it for your body, do it for your brain, do it for your mind, do it for your health, do it for the life you want to live in the optimized way you know how. Sales starts Thanksgiving at 9 p.m., so mark your fucking calendars. We'll be launching amazing doorbuster deals every night at midnight. Free gifts and doorbusters are in limited supply. So hashtag get on it, or you just might miss it. Check it out at onit.com slash Black Friday. Jason Kalipa has finally joined us on the Human Optimization Hour podcast. He's a guy I've followed for years. We got the same background. No, no not necessarily. We come from the same place. Yes, that's true. Uh, he went to a high school right down the street from where I went. Um, graduated a few years after I did, but pretty much the same generation from the same old block. And uh, even though I never got to podcast him when I was out in the Bay Area, it is awesome to finally get to connect with this guy. He has such an incredible story. Uh, he's been on the Tim Ferriss podcast and a number of others, um, CrossFit champion, and now has over 20 gyms internationally. I think he just, uh, right after this show, flew out to Southeast Asia to open a gym in Malaysia, of all places. Uh, spent some time in Thailand. I mean, the guy has a wealth of knowledge. He's into jiu-jitsu and martial arts, and he's a family man. And he talks a bit about um, some very real-life struggles that have happened and opens up to us on the podcast. It was a very touching and heartfelt podcast, and I know you guys are going to dig it. Thanks for tuning in. We're on. Jason Kalipa's in the house. Hey, hey. I love it. <laughs> no messing around. Just right to it. Let's Fuck go. it. Well, we're already talking here, so yeah, like, I don't want to waste no shit. We got to get this all in the podcast. We got to have lunch yesterday. I got to catch up, you know, get to get to know each other a little bit better. That's right, brother. It's been a hot minute. I know I told you this at lunch yesterday, but uh, Mind Pump had talked to me about you back in the day. I had heard of you from CrossFit Games and all that, and, and uh, I was like, oh, shit. Like, I, I think I had a buddy, a good friend of mine, Levent Niazi, and his wife, uh, Lexi. They were telling me that they had a friend of a friend that was you, and they were saying, like, man, he's got all these gyms, and he's he won the CrossFit Games, and he's from San Jose. And I was like, no shit, we got another hometown yeah, champion. Another, another Bay Area guy. Another Bay yeah. Area champ. Yeah. And the South Bay, too. You think of all the places in the Bay Area, like, yeah. we, we grew up, like, right next to each other. Yeah, man, I grew up uh, more towards the east side of San Jose. Not, like, in the hood, but I grew up— I don't see any neck tattoos, Yeah, so. no, nah, like, I, um, <laughs> I grew up in, like, um, Piedmont, like, the foothills of— uh, San Jose and um, went to, uh, but you know, kind of grew up in the, did the private school thing. So it just, uh, it, was, it, it was a different environment growing up. Yeah. I had a lot of buddies. I told you, you know, we both went to West Valley Junior College. Yeah. We, yeah. We both went to West Valley. VC. Yeah. And uh, wh when did you graduate high school, actually? So I graduated from high school in 2004. And at the time, you know, like in high school, I was like the popular guy. I was kind of like the class clown. Looking back on it, I was probably an asshole to the teachers and I probably shouldn't have been that way. Ditto. But, you know, <laughs> I think in the moment, you don't really realize what's going on. And so over the years, what happened to me, I had a really valuable lesson going to West Valley, actually, is uh, speaking of West Valley, because you went there. You know, in high school, I was like the popular guy, went around, did a bunch of different stuff. And all my friends were kind of working hard and whatever. So then when, when it got time to go to college, they end up going to a four-year university. Specifically, my wife or my girlfriend at the time went to San Clay University and I didn't get in. 
And so then, you know, I went to West Valley and the first day of class, it just totally woke me up, man. I just, I got my stuff together and then got out of there in two years. I ended up applying to Santa Clara, uh, four total times, but I got in on the fourth try and then I graduated. So you're sitting there at class at, at West Valley, like I'm a fucking loser right dude, now. Dude. So what happened to me is like, you know, you go from high school kind of being the dude, right? You're the senior, you know, kind of whatever. I show up at West Valley and it was my first class, first day. I'll never forget maybe 50, 50 people in the class. And it's like, you know, hi, my name is John. I've been here for a year. Hi, my name is whatever. And this woman sitting next to me, she's like, Hey, my name is Amy or whatever her name was. She's like, this is my seventh year at West Valley. And it was right there and then that it just clicked for me. Like, no one cares about me. I'm in the real world. And unless I put, I need to be in control of my own destiny. There's no one pushing me forward like in high school where people kind of like, you know, more you get or less. Corralled. Yeah, Everyone you get, wants you to pass. You, you get corralled, right? Everybody yeah. wants to you to at least get through their system. So when you go to West Valley, there's not that same system. And so for me, it was super tough. And uh, I woke up that day. I, um, I'd already been working at the gym, but then I started working full-time at the gym, going to school full-time, got my stuff together, and then got the hell out. So you go to Santa Clara, and we had, I had joked about, you know, we both started off in the same spot, and then I went to Arizona State, which is kind of a shit show of a school, and Santa Clara's where the <laughs> smart kids party go. school, huh? There. Yep. We yeah. were number one, in uh, according to Playboy magazine, for a few years while I was there. Hey, at least you're ranked in something. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's all good. And we were ranked in football, too, yeah, but yeah, that's, that's, that's that true. was important to me. It, it, obviously. But, but uh, you know— what you what did you go to school for there? Because it's so funny. I mean, everyone you know, and I'm sure this is it's even more of a of a skew in the Bay Area because most people that go to college they don't end up what doing what they're doing. And obviously, you know, you're in health and wellness unless you were in kinesiology or some shit like yeah, that. Yeah. There's probably and that's not even direct. Yeah. Well, what did you go to school for? And so when I was 14, I started working at the traditional gym, the front desk, right? And then Globo Gym, conventional. Yep, Globo Gym. I would, or maybe, excuse me, when I was 15, you know, sold Gatorades, checked people in, whatever. And then I started getting this passion for the gym. And from there, when I got to college, I wanted to make more money. So I started doing sales and I was selling gym memberships, selling gym memberships. And I was going to school at the same time. And when I was going to West Valley, I was just kind of getting my general ed. When I went to um, Santa Clara, I, I majored in business management. And I knew I wanted to kind of, at that point, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur and and business was kind of like a broad strokes thing that I could kind of get into. And so I was selling gym memberships, going to school. And then towards the end of my school, I started realizing that I was selling people a dream and I wasn't kind of contributing to it. Meaning I, I felt a little unethical because I was making good paychecks. You know, I was 18, 19 years old, racking in some pretty good money because I was selling a lot of memberships. And at the time, you know, a lot of people go to the gym at night. And so it was great for me because I'd go to school during the day and I'd be able to be there during peak hours, right? Mm. So I sold a lot of memberships, blah, blah, but I felt like unfulfilled. And so then I found, you know, CrossFit and this idea of having a coach and a community, even like here at On It, all the different classes, right? Yeah. And that's Small really what's, that's what sparked me. I said, man, I know that if I sign somebody up, I'm going to set them up for success first, having them pay 19 bucks, letting them go on their own. And really kind of feeling like, damn, I kind of sold them a dream, but I didn't give them the tools to get there. Mm, that makes a ton of sense. You must have hit it off with, with uh, Sal and Adam and the Mind Pump. Oh, group, yeah. The mind pump. These old sales guys from oh, 24 dude. Fitness. Oh, yeah. They, we, we hit it <laughs> off. I mean, yeah. I mean, and, and, the, and the, the sales side actually at a young age was really, really good. And I, I haven't really talked about this that, that much, but I think at a young age, I had really good mentors in the gym that taught me how to sell and in the environment I was in, which was in Milpitas, California, it was a very diverse community with a lot of Indian, Asian, white, I mean, a ton of different ethnicities. And it was nice to get to know how to interact with different cultures, how to interact with different age groups, right? And how to interact with different people. And, it, and it, it's paid huge dividends later on in life because I was learning those skills at, you know, 17, 18 years old. Yeah. And there's a lot of bargaining with some of those cultures. I'm not going to say which ones, but I grew up in the Bay as well. And, uh, you know, it's no secret. I worked at a strip club for seven years while I was fighting and dudes would come in and fucking bargain with the strippers on what the left dance price was. I'm like, Hey son, it's fucking fixed. All right. It's 20th song. Let's not negotiate here. There's the no cultural two, thing, no, right? No two for one, huh? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And so for me again, how about I give you 10? Yeah. <laughs> if that's not a giveaway, I don't know what is, but yeah. But, but for me, like regardless of the culture, it was nice to learn, hey, this culture is this way, this culture is this way. How do I overcome them, their 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 objective objections and and you know, kind of get them to a place where they're ready to 
to buy. And, yeah. and then how do I take that now as I get older and I started saying, wow, well, I didn't really believe when I was selling as much. Now I really believe in it sitting here today. I fully believe in our business and what we're doing. So the passion that I had is just quadrupled because now I, you know, I'm really all about it. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that paints such a perfect picture of how you become the entrepreneur that you are. And it also makes sense on, like, that's something I always valued growing up in the Bay Area was because Monta Vista High School is where I went in Cupertino. White people were a minority, still are. They're even yep. more of a minority. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, Cupertino's- It was like 60% Asian, yep. which includes Indian. And then now it's like 80, yep. right? So, but in that diverse, like some of my best friends are Korean and Chinese and from Singapore and Turkish and all these different mixes. And it's awesome. But it does let you peek into culture because, you know, like when you grow up, they're like, oh, it's the melting pot. America's the melting pot. And fuck no, it isn't. It's a salad bowl, right? You've got pockets of different groups and people want, as they should, to hold on to their culture. Of course. And that's awesome. But it's cool to experience those things. And then, of course, as you travel the world and now you're setting up gyms in other countries all over the place. But let's, before we get into the, you know, you you really branching this out. Yeah. Walk me through CrossFit. Like yeah. you have a passion for that. Obviously you're selling CrossFit memberships and you believe in it. Yeah. So, so, but on the note about like the ethnic diversity, you know, the Bay area is a really beautiful place to live because you get so many, like, not only do I get the best food in the world from all these different cultures. Right. But again, you, you get a lot of people moving in for different jobs and different stuff. And it's, it's nice to engage like today, actually, as soon as I leave here later on today, I'm flying to Hong Kong and I'm going to Malaysia and we're opening up a new location. So the Malaysian culture is totally different, right? A lot of Muslim and how do we, how do we engage them? And from a fitness perspective, what does that look like? Right. It's, it's, it's super intriguing to me because there's different rules. You know, you don't want to touch people a certain way, you know, but -hmm. back to CrossFit. So (laughs) here I am in 2006, I get introduced to CrossFit from a, from a friend at the gym and I do my first workout and I really wasn't sold on it. I wasn't, you know, I, I kind of, first work I do is called Fran. And basically it's like a thruster and a pull-up. And I didn't understand intensity. I didn't understand like going against the clock and therefore it didn't like give me the results I was looking for. It was just kind of like a workout. And it was like, okay. Afterwards, I remember doing sit-ups for like 20 minutes, right? But over time, I started to realize that when you race against the clock with a purpose and a goal, your results are so much better. And that's really what intrigued me about CrossFit still today. So now we have gyms all over the world. Um, some of them offer CrossFit, some of them are more just coached group style classes, but they're always against the clock. And I think the clock, whether you're here at on it, whether whatever, or even at a, at a jujitsu match, right? You're going against a five minute clock, a six minute clock, whatever, or MMA. And during that time, you're fully focused on what you're doing and you're trying to get the most impact. And it's something I try and incorporate in my life called the AMRAP mentality, where it's actually the book, which we'll talk about. It's as many reps as possible. And that's what I really think stuck with me about CrossFit was Yes, you had a coach, which taught you how to do movement well, but you had a community and a clock that required you to train hard for that period of time. So instead of me being in the gym for two, three hours, aimlessly kind of transferring between elliptical and curls, I now had a, a designated goal with a designated time. And my goal was to get as much bang for my buck during that 20 minute AMRAP. And that taught me a lot of life skills. Cause then I started saying, okay, well, if I can AMRAP a workout, why can't I AMRAP family time? Why can't I AMRAP school time? Why can't I AMRAP this with you and not be half of my phone or at the gym, but you're on the elliptical, but you're really reading a book. It's like, well, either read a book or be on the elliptical, but like, let's be all in whatever we're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fuck yeah. That makes so much sense. <laughs> um, unpack that a little bit, yeah. the AMRAP mentality. And obviously I want to, I want to dive into your book, but you know, people, people have like very various ways to train. And Mark Bell was great because he was, you know, he gets asked the question a lot and your buddies with Mark. Yeah, good He's friend. like, what, uh, what's the best way to train? You know, and he's like, it's it's this thing you're not doing. If all you do is bodybuilder training, maybe try CrossFit. Maybe try, uh, you know, some endurance training, some yep. cardio, things like that. If you're just a fucking marathon runner, maybe do some hill repeats and some sprint work. Right. Right. But in all those experiences, if you have the ability to test the water in the different modality, not only is there shock and value there, but you can pick up something new from that, right? Yeah. I mean, learning new skills is so incredible, you know? So I competed at the CrossFit Games eight times and I had, you know, I was really blessed to have a lot of success there. But then my daughter got diagnosed with leukemia in 2016. And so I pivoted and I couldn't compete anymore. And that was a good example of actually incorporating this AMRAP mentality, which I want to dive into more. 
But point being is after she got sick, I couldn't dedicate four hours a day or whatever was training. But then I found jujitsu. And it was really cool because jujitsu is a great example of learning a new skill and how does that correlate into other things in your life? You know, this morning I come to on it and I learn, you know, how to go from a turtle in a, in a jujitsu, whatever. And it's cool because when I'm developing this skill, that's all I'm thinking about. And at times when you become so good at whatever modality you're training, and let's just say Mark with his powerlifting or you even in jujitsu, you're probably so good at what you're doing that there's times your brain can start to think about other stuff, I imagine, right? Because you're so mm -hmm. gifted. Whereas me, when I'm doing jujitsu, I can't think about anything else except for you trying to take my back and choke me out. Whereas in CrossFit, I developed this skill where I became so efficient, so smooth, that my brain allowed myself to at times get unchecked. So it's nice to try different things because then you're fully engaged all in, you're developing new skills and those translate into everything else you're doing in life. Yeah. I mean, there definitely are times where if I'm, you know, we're going over a triangle setup or something that I've done a thousand times and I'm like, oh, okay, I, I know what we're, I know where this, how this ends Yeah, and I'll drill it. Then my mind could wander. But certainly when you're rolling, oh, I yeah. think that's one of the beautiful things about jujitsu is that even if you're with a white belt, even if I'm a black belt and I'm rolling with a white belt, I don't know what's going to happen. There's no, it's not yeah. fucking scripted. Yeah. I don't know what they're going to do. I have to be mindful of that. And that just draws me into the moment. And there's any, anything we can do in life that has the power to make us present, that's a fucking win. Because that goes everywhere. That goes into everything we do. That's yeah. the infection you want to have. Right? Yeah, and I think you're hitting the nail on the head, right? I mean, so jujitsu for me, and, and same thing for you. Yeah, I've been rolling now for a couple of years, and I feel like I'm starting to understand the art. I don't know a damn thing about it, but I'm starting to get it a little bit. And one of the things I really love is this idea of being present and focused. And, you know, I think that's where CrossFit, we use the clock you use your competitor, right? Because we don't know what your competitor is going to do. And so you always have to be on and engaged because you never know, right? And I think the clock is cool because it started to make exercise in a sense where now you can be present and focused instead of allowing yourself to be distracted. You know, and it was, it was early in like 2011. At the time, our business was really growing and we had open locations globally. And then my, my wife and I, I had met her when we were 14 in high school. And we had had one daughter. So our daughter, her name's Ava. And so, you know, we're kind of cruising. And I just started asking myself, like, how am I going to balance trying to be a good father, good husband, you know, try and build this multinational business and then win the CrossFit Games? So I'm walking with my wife and she asked me a question. She's like, hey, what do you think about that? And I'm sure this has maybe happened to you in the past. And I say, hey, babe, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, I wasn't paying attention at all. At the time, I was thinking about, you know, walking on my hands at a competition coming up in CrossFit. And so my body was there, but my mind wasn't present. And I remember just looking at my daughter and just saying to myself, like, hey, if I don't change something about this, then I'm not going to have this, right? Like if I'm, if, it, it, and so at that moment, I said to myself, when am I the most, like, when do I get the biggest bang for my buck? And I said, well, it's like when I'm against the clock. So then I started segmenting my day in hour blocks or two hour, half hour, whatever, where I started saying, okay, I'm going to AMRAP family time from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. And then I'm going to AMRAP doing this with you. I'm going to AMRAP my workout. Then when I get home, I'm going to do this. Then I'm going to, you know, set a clock. And, and then after a while, you don't have to actually set a clock, right? But the whole idea is when you're, when you're all in, you're all in. And, and I'd make the argument, I don't know how you feel about this. I wonder if we're more productive today than we are 50 years ago or if we're less productive. Because 50 years ago, when you're at work, you're at work. When you're you have home, no distractions at all. No. There's no phone right there. No, you're sending, you know, handwritten letters. And <laughs> I mean, maybe whatever, back up a hundred years. And so nowadays it's so easy to be emailing people, right? You're at work, you're grinding. Then all of a sudden you get distracted by a text message or something. And for your brain to reshuffle back to what you're doing might take an extra 20 minutes. And so for me, I really try and I'm not, and I'm, look, I'm still struggling with this. I'm sure you feel the same. But I'm really trying to just be all in like you and I talked about, right? Like when you're with your son, he knows when you're not all in. And uh, that's my goal. Yeah. Fuck yeah, brother. Those are great goals. And yeah, you're exactly right. You know, it's, it's I don't, I think that I was look, trying to figure out what they call this new generation that's coming up right now. I think it's the always on generation, <laughs> at least according to this fucking meme I saw on Google. Always on. Sense. They're always on, right? They're always on the electronics. Oh, oh, oh. But yeah, like yeah. it's, you know, my son has his own fucking iPad. He might get it for 20 minutes a day, max, but 
it's his. Like I bought it for him for road trips, things like that. Um, he's not on all the time by design. We got rid of our TV by design so that he wouldn't walk by it and be like, oh, I want to watch TV now, yeah. you know, that kind of shit. And he was already addicted to it. But if he sees me at the same time, if he sees me on my cell phone and I'm texting people or trying to write emails, he'll come over and smack it out of my hand. Yeah. And I, I don't even blame him. I'm like, hey, no, that's an expensive. All right, all right, I'm off my fucking phone. Sorry. Yeah. You know, like I gotta be there for him, you know? We talked to, I talked to you yeah. last, yesterday about that with, um, you know, one of the biggest lessons I got from Ben Greenfield when I went to his house was like, once the kids go to school, I'm 100% invested in my work and working out. And the second they get off, I'm doing, I'm teaching them everything that they don't learn in school. I'm getting them outdoors. I'm teaching them how to bow hunt, how to forage for wild mushrooms and plants. And uh, it's an awesome thing to see that, you know, because the prototypical parent, the prototypical dad comes home from work exhausted, where's my food and doesn't have shit for the kid, throws on the TV and just fucking lays down like, come here, snuggle me, you know, and then at best they'll give them some love and affection in that way. But they're not, they're not present in the way that you would hope to be because yeah. they've burnt the fucking candle at both ends. And I was a victim of that because, you know, when I retired from fighting, I wanted to continue to push myself. I love that. I love fucking just getting after it. And I got into powerlifting and wanted to be as strong as I could be. And, and I saw where that went. And then when I got here, it was, all right, I got my first 40-hour job ever in my entire life. And I still want to work out hard and I'd come home dead some days. And if I had enough energy for my son, I'd have no energy for my wife. Right. And that's an issue. So that's, that's been a work in progress as all things are, but being mindful of that, like as we draw awareness to whatever we hope to change, that's often enough because we can recognize it in the moment. Like, Oh yeah. shit, I did it again. I, I pushed it too hard in the sauna after a workout and now I'm fucking dehydrated and I can't be present, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I think about that in two ways. So one is I want to be fit for the rest of my life. And right now I'm not trying to win the CrossFit Games. I'm just trying to be so physically fit that if my kids want to do anything, I, it doesn't even, doesn't even blink a question. Like my son likes to BMX ride. No problem. I'll jump on my bike. My daughter wants to go whatever. It, because I'm physically in shape enough to do whatever, I never get exhausted from that. I think that's good. And so I think for anybody who doesn't exercise regularly, that's good motivation is just to start walking because, you know, if your kids want to go out and do something, that's, that's critical. But I think when you get home, if you, if you incorporate some form of fitness, it's a nice way to re-energize yourself before you enter into a new thing. So like sometimes what I do is if I'm at work and I'm grinding, I'm getting stressed, I'll do a quick 15, 20 minute, you know, even set a clock, five sit-ups, you know, seven push-ups, you know, 10 air squats for 10 minutes. And I'll instantly feel better. Like after today, you know, I got here yesterday, I leave here and I'm, I'll be on a plane for the next 20 hours. As soon as I land, I, I will definitely hit something. So it just refocuses me and my body and then I'm energized and ready to go. But I think back to your point, just something I wanted to add, something I've been trying to do is every day I try and do a daily check-in before I go to bed and just ask myself, you know, how did I do today? And I used to do this as an athlete. I said, Hey, how did I do today to put myself in a position to win the CrossFit games? Right. That's, that was my goal. Nothing else. And if every night I said, hey, I did the best I could to put myself in that position, then when I got to the games, I know I had earned the right and I had no regrets, right? Because mm. I did micro check-ins every single day. Yeah. And that same thing now, I've tried to pivot towards real life where I said, hey, look, how do I do today as a husband, a father, an athlete, and a business owner? And there's going to be days where I might shift more towards something. Like today, obviously, I'm not going to be the best hu husband and, or excuse me, best father in the world because I'm going to be traveling. But when I get home, I need to take them to the pumpkin patch. I need to be fully engaged with them. I need to be doing that stuff so I can kind of right the wrong. So this way I don't wake up one day when I'm 50 and be like, oh, I was a terrible father. Yeah. You know, those daily check-ins, I think, really helped me personally. Yeah, they're huge. Well, you got touched on a lot of great stuff there. There's a book uh, called Hold On to Your Kids that Gabra Mate wrote and his son, Daniel Mate, reads it. And there's another co-author too, but they talk about that. Like if you're away or even at the end of the day when you're coming home from work or the kids get off school, you have to reconnect to your child, right? And in, in whatever way that is, it can be through touch, it can be through playing games, but reconnect to your kid first. Don't come home and have other shit to do. Like yeah, reconnect yeah. to them first. And then from there, if you need to handle some stuff, you can do that after they go to sleep, right? Yeah. And by the way, on that note, then I'll let you finish your thought. But that's something I really found myself doing poorly. And my wife put me in check. Like, so what happens is sometimes I'll get in the driveway and I would come in the house, but I'd be finishing a call, right? Uh-huh. And <laughs> I'd be on a call. I'd be finishing it in the house. I'd go in my office. And sometimes my son would be like, kind of like coming in to say hi. And I'd be like, hey man, like, shh, shh, I'm on a call. 
And then finally my wife said to me like, what are you doing? I was like, and I, I reflected, I was like, what am I doing? Like the first thing I should do when I walk in the door, I should be fully engaged on them. And so what that means is maybe finish my call in the driveway yep. or, or down the street, yeah. right? But as soon as I enter that, that platform, I'm now, I'm on their time. Yeah. And I had to learn that the hard way. And I'm very fortunate that I have a wife that kind of like is, she's kind of a no nonsense woman. And which, which, <laughs> which played really well when our daughter got sick. Yeah. Um, because she was just like, we can talk more about that. But anyway, she was the one that kind of put me in check and that was really helpful for me. That's awesome, brother. Well, let's dive into your daughter. But first, I just want to touch on this thing. Greenfield recently tweeted yep. this study that 15 minutes of mild aerobic exercise was better than sitting quietly in a room. So for all things from cognitive function, boost in memory and productivity to mental clarity, and then to the emotional state, like yeah. right when people meditate, well, they meditate to get calm and relaxed and to kind of shift perspective, right? But if you only have 15 minutes, you can't go deep in the meditation unless you're an avid meditator and you can fucking get it done in five. It's better just to go for a walk, a brisk yeah. walk or a mild jog. And to, to that note, like maybe it is five sit-ups, seven push-ups, and 10 air squats on repeat for 10 minutes. But when you do that, you feel so much better. Dude. And that's an excellent time. I mean, it's a little harder if you're doing, um, if you're not used to push-ups, sit-ups, and air squats. Sure. That isn't shit for you. But for me, this is exactly around outside on it. If I just hang a right at the end of each block, it's exactly one mile. So I'll just go for a one mile walk, sometimes with no headphones, like they talk about in the book Unplugged. Sometimes I'll throw on binaural beats or just some, some good music. And that's a great time for me to check in throughout the day. And it's so critical to have those moments where you create space for yourself because we're constantly inundated with more shit yeah. coming in, shit coming in from the boss, shit coming in from the wife, shit coming in yeah. from the TV and from the radio and all this, this it's just a constant stream of external that's coming through our mind. Yeah, and in getting your body moving, it's great. You know, Kelly Starrett, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He, uh, he had something like 10 years ago, he did this for me and it was really magical. You know, we do a lot in the corporate wellness space and he would just call it the 10 minute squat a day. And um, I which tried- Which is brutal, by the way. Which is super brutal. <laughs> it sounds super easy, but it's not. And so the goal would be, you know, for me and our clients and our partners, it's like, I, I try and cut that down because like Kelly's- a ninja. I try and cut it down to like four or five minutes, segmented in like two or three sets, right? Yeah. So like you're on a conference call, boom, you hold a squat for a little bit and it just opens up your low back, opens Does up your ankles. Does it sound like you're taking a shit though when you're on the conference no, call? No, come on. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. yeah, that's a great idea. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hips are a little tight. Yeah. But you know, just getting out of the chair and just sitting like that, that's, that's a nice alternative, right? Or obviously standing. Yeah, some form of movement, yeah. anything, you know, can be really important. Kelly's a good buddy of mine. Um, he, I credited him the first time I went on Rogan with really fixing my shoulder because I had labrum surgery from doing a fucking PR, trying to PR on, on Barbell Snatch while oh. I was under the weather, yeah. mildly sick and completely tightened down from sparring. It's just a silly ass thing to do. But yeah. I mean, his, his work is phenomenal. And obviously I think he has another book coming out. He just, um, he just released a book about um, like a kayak, even paddle, like uh, it's a paddling book. Okay. I think he was doing one on airplanes next. It's uh, I don't know. I jokingly called it airplane mode, but it's it's basically like for people that have a lot of air travel. Yeah, that's how you can help that mitigate one. that damage, right? Yeah, yeah. and, and, and Deskbound's a phenomenal book too. Oh we yeah, Deskbound's great. Love book. his books. Um, but let's unpack. You know, let's unpack what happened to your daughter and how you guys were able to work through that. Sure. So in January 2016, so we had had a few. You know, it's so fun when I tell this story and I, and I share perspective. People are like, "Oh, well, why didn't you realize something was wrong earlier?" It's like, well, you know, like, I mean, people I really trust and like confide in will say that. Most people won't say it, but like, you know, she was having really bad ear infections over and over again. Mm. And the doctor said to me one time, she's like, he's like, this is the worst ear infection I've ever seen in my life. And that one kind of like puts me in my ear, like the worst you've ever seen. This dude's like 60 years old. He's obviously been in the game a long time. This is the worst you've ever seen. Hmm. Something doesn't seem right. Then she would be like tired all the time and her legs would hurt. And I'd have to like carry her a lot. And I was like, hmm. It just doesn't seem right. So I call Kelly, tells me to get a trampoline, right? Tells me, you know, growing pains, right? And, and I'm like, okay, like maybe that counts. But obviously he didn't know the full scope, right? And then, so finally she starts falling asleep at school. And I'm like, this does not seem right, right? Got ear infections, can't walk more than 400 yards. And yet, and you fall asleep at school. Something's not up, right? So, okay, you know what? She's probably 
you know, she's probably needs some mineral, you know, her, her vitamins are probably off her something's off. Right. And nutritionally we were feeding her well, right? Like we were aware at least. Yeah. And, uh, so then one day she started getting bruising in her legs and that was like the straw that broke the camel's back. And I know that when I see these other things, she's like, well, why didn't you go to the doctor earlier? We did go to the doctor. We went to the doctor for specific things. And when you look at them individually, there wasn't anything alarming. It's like, oh, she's tired. Well, let's look into iron deficiency, whatever. Yeah, oh, her, she can't anemic. walk. Yeah. yeah, Maybe she's anemic, whatever. All these different things. But then when the bruising occurred, that's the thing that like really just, you know, really caused a huge red flag. And so what we did is uh, went to the doctor. Finally, they took blood work and- yeah, I think they were hesitant to do blood work um, because she was so young just to kind of, you know, because you have to poke her. It's scary, yeah. Yeah, and I think in hindsight, I think as a parent, I would have advocated for it earlier to do blood work. Um, but again, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But I think if I were to do it over again and something was to occur again, I'd say, hey, look, you know what? Just go ahead and do the blood work. I can have her handle the needle. I'll go get her ice cream after, whatever, right? So they get the blood work and then we get the call later on at night. Uh hey, look, you need to go to the uh, Stanford emergency room immediately. And it's like, well, that doesn't sound good. So we left all the dinner at the, you know, we left the food in the kitchen and we rushed up to the ER. And that was the beginning of a, of a two and a half year journey. And uh, learned a lot, cried a lot, and, uh, and uh, came stronger, you know? Uh, it's... I mean, do you want, I mean, I mean, yeah, I can, brother. No, yeah. I'm quiet. Cause I mean, I'm I can, soaking that in. I mean, I, I can dive who, into more. Any, anyone who has a child, you know, I mean, it, it fucking grabs me, you know, and there's, there's, that would never be on anyone's radar. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not something you think about when you think of childhood illness, like maybe my child has cancer. Well, that's no, so that's fucking not on anyone's radar. Yeah. And she was four. Be, so she, she was diagnosed at four. She, I should say that she's now seven. Um, she's thriving right? We just finished. She's almost six months out of treatment. And you're right. Like I remember calling the doctor on the way to the hospital. And at the time I was like, you know, I was pretty frantic. I was like, dude, like what is up? You know, like you're telling us to go to the ER. You got to give me something more. And I think he was, I think he knew it was up, but he didn't want to say it. Mm -hmm. And he's just like, look, it could be a number of things. It could be that her bone marrow isn't producing. Cause what happened is, you know, they, they recognized her blood work was totally through the charts on white blood cells, different stuff, which is which is generally a theme so uh, for leukemia. So we got into the ER and we're there for hours. And I'll, I'll remember this, this, this nurse, she comes up to Ashley and I, and she's like, this is the first nurse we met, by the way. So we go into the ER and the nurse looks at me and Ashley and she says, hey, I just want you to know, I've met a lot of families and it's really important for you and your wife to keep date nights. And I just remember looking at her and just being like, like, like F this, like, why are you, why are you putting that on us right now? Cause like, I could tell she was kind of trying to like, trying to say like, Hey, this is about to be heavy. Yeah. Keep date nights. And I'm like thinking to myself, like, Hey man, like we don't get any information yet. Like, why are you putting that omen on us? Right. Yeah. Sure enough. She had seen a number of families probably come through similar situation. She knew what we were about to get into. And, and her advice was super accurate. And we really appreciated it long term is that we did keep date nights and we kept our bond strong so we could have a strong relationship with the kids, which I really think was valuable. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, some nights we'd go, you know, some nights we've had some rough nights and we would go to the bar and the bartender would know us and we'd probably drink more than we should. And yeah. you know what though? Like at, at those nights, every now and then with our family was able to watch Ava, it allowed us to kind of be out of that and get deep for a little bit, you know, have adult conversations, break down a little bit and then come back. I think those date nights were super valuable for us. So anyways, the doctor comes in like, Hey, look, we did a bunch of blood tests. Um, she has leukemia, right? And I'm like, yeah. so I start crying, blah, blah. And I go in, I tell my wife, I'm like, Hey, let's go talk outside. So my father-in-law was in the room with my daughter at the time. He had rushed over there and I take my wife out in the hallway and I say to her, I was like, Hey, like she has leukemia. Right. And I'm like crying. And she just looks at me and, you know, she, we break down for a little bit and we're in this hallway. I'll never forget. And she gives me like the best football pump up speech I've ever heard in my life. Like it's something like an Arizona state that would get the guys to like crush the opponent, right? She just looks at me. She's like, listen, I was like, I'm listening. She's like, you tell our family that they could cry all they want. But as soon as they walk into the door of our room and see Ava, there are no more tears. Never, ever. We are going to be positive. We're going to crush this. And that's it. And she walks back in the door and I just sit there. I'm like, 
fuck, fuck yeah. yeah. You know, like, yeah. I'm just like, yeah, let's go. You know, and it reminded me of like, you know, just football days, you know, the coach rah-rah and only on a much more serious, yeah. you know, yeah. theme. So we get back in the room and and from that day on, right? I mean, you know, from that day on, we we went through a lot of stuff, went to the ICU, a lot of chemo. She was put to sleep a lot, a lot, a lot of rough, 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 rough stuff. But till that, till this day, you know, we've kept that promise. And, um, you know, for any family going through that struggle, what I'd recommend if you're not, if you know a family is going through a struggle like this, the biggest recommendation I would have for you is set a calendar noticed for every month to check in with that family, not just in the beginning, but ongoing. A buddy of mine just found out news that he has prostate cancer. And I set a calendar notice for every two weeks to text message him forever, indefinitely. Because what happens is in the beginning, I got flooded. And we're talking like a thousand text messages when I put it on social media, just asking Mm. for good vibes and prayers. That's all I wanted, right? I didn't need anything from anybody except for that, which I believe, by the way, played a big contribution. But anyways, after that though, the text messages start to slow down. And it's a year later, six months later, when you're in the thick of it and you're, you're, you're kind of, you're drained a little bit from the experience. You could use just a little text message. Hey, you want to go get a drink tonight? Or you want to go grab a beer or whatever it is and just talk it out or just a text message. Hey, hope your daughter's doing well. So I'd, I would recommend for, for people who know someone's going through it to do that. I'd recommend for anybody that's going through a big struggle like this in their life, um, that, uh, you got to be your child's biggest advocate. Yeah, hundred percent. No one cares more than you care. So let's talk about you know your transition from that experience into the work that you're doing to raise awareness and with the charities. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, the night she was diagnosed, I wrote an email, and I wrote an email to our staff. I said, "Listen, effective immediately, I'm no longer the CEO, of the president of this company. It's this gentleman, Matt Walker. This could be for a month, three months, six months, a year, indefinitely. I don't know. I'm fully focused on one thing and one thing only, which is getting my daughter." healthy period. If you have, you know, if you have it, don't contact me unless it has to do with get, getting her well. And that night was really powerful for me looking back on it because I was so blessed and, and truly blessed. And I'm sitting here today, grateful that I was put in a position where I could do that. And it was because I had worked hard for a long time. I had built a hedge in many areas of my life with a good relationship with my wife, financial security, fitness, that I was able to do that. And now I want to share that message with other people about building this hedge when times are good so that God forbid anything ever happens, you've had this hedge. And that's part of the Amrite Mentality book that comes out. But in regards to philanthropic efforts, my wife hosts an annual event with a chef named Michael Mina called Ava's Kitchen. It's every February. We do a lot of fundraising. The book that I'm releasing is for pediatric cancer. It's, it's, it's supporting an organization called Nigu. I partner with this organization where we donate heavily to them And we manage a fund that provides families memories. For some families, that's all they have left, right? So they're, let's just say, you know, they want to go to a baseball game. They want to go to Disneyland, whatever. We give them these micro, like here's 500 bucks, thousand bucks. And they apply for it. And we just give them, they're called breakaway adventures. They're a time for a family to break away, get their head clear, and then get back into it. And those were moments for us that I remember. And it's because we were blessed financially to be able to do it. But some families don't have that. And so we want to give that to as many families as possible. So, you know, when times were tough, we would take our daughter to the Ritz-Carlton. We'd stay the night and they would treat her like a princess, right? She'd be bald and we'd, she'd be sick and they'd be just showering her with stuff. And it's because we were able to financially do that. I want to give that opportunity on a different scale, right? A baseball game, going out to dinner, whatever it can to other families. And then every Christmas, we give 100 families, 200 families, 300 families, $1,000 to help them with whatever they need. And this is going to be an ongoing focus for me and my wife for the rest of our life because we've seen some really bad stuff. And one thing we never had to worry about was the money. And and a lot of families have to worry about the money. And if we could help out just a little bit, then that's a, that's a core value of mine for the rest of my life. Fuck yeah. That makes so much sense too, especially when you, anytime you go through something like that, if you come out on the other side, okay. You want to look back and make sure that as many people as you can, you help climb the ladder. You help get them over the wall. Yeah. And I never want to forget it. Right. Like, like I need to come up with something, whether it's a tattoo, a daily visual that always reminds me of the struggle we went through, what we had to overcome as a family and all the things that were stacked in our favor. 
I mean, we have the best family in the world. The day she was diagnosed, we had 20 people in the waiting room for, for, for months. I mean, and, and we have the family, we have the financial support, we have all these different things. But what if you don't have that? How much harder is that experience for you? And, you know, a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, things will start to fade. But I don't want it to fade. I want it to always be in the forefront of my mind that every day a family is getting hit with the same news that we are. And how can we support them, right, is, 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 is the question I will always ask myself. You know, the night that uh, she was diagnosed, my father-in-law was there, and my mom and dad took my son. I'll never forget. I called my dad. I'm like, hey, look, Ava has leukemia, right? This is a big, and he had had leukemia. So, he know, he's a very intelligent man. And he says to me, he's like, listen, your mom and I have taken off work indefinitely. And, you know, we'll take care of your son. And, you know, that kind of family support goes a long way because imagine if we had our four-year-old, we had a, we had a one-year-old son and a four-year-old daughter and they just took him. And I don't know. I just think back, like, what if you don't have that? Or you know, one morning I woke up, it was like 5 a.m. I, I go into the waiting room and we'd had a rough night. And cause I, I slept at the hospital for the months we were there and I would go into the waiting room. My father-in-law was there like at 6 a.m. And I look at him, I was like, what are you doing here? He's looks at me, he's like, where else would I be? And I was like, mm. Fair enough. Like we're like, and that's the kind of family support that, that, you know, we're blessed with. We want to provide what we can. Yeah, brother. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's tough to transition from that into anything that's worthwhile and interesting. No, but, no, sorry. But, <laughs> I don't mean to go down these roads. No, you know, I, I, I appreciate it. Obviously it gets me very, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, but it's important to let people, I mean, that's what this fucking show is about. Yeah. I want people to peek into the lives of the guests that I have and into myself and to, you know, to, have that vulnerability and honesty where people can actually get to know who we're talking to. And it's not just, hey, this is a new thing I'm going to promote, promote. But yeah. at the same time, let's talk about the new thing you're going to promote. Let's yeah, talk yeah, about the yeah. book and, <laughs> and let's break well, down. It, you know, we just had James Clear on from Atomic Habits and he was, he was awesome. And he was able to piece together some of the key concepts from his book. What are some of the key concepts? Obviously, we've been talking about the Sam Rep mentality. Yep. Um, break some of that down for us. Yeah, so switching gears completely, but on the same focus. Um, all pre-sales for the book, right? Up until January 8th, all proceeds go to pediatric cancer. After that, a portion of it, right? So mm -hmm. I, I didn't want to say forever all proceeds because I don't know what's going to happen in life, yeah. but that's my intention is to always give back. Um, that being said, the AMRAP mentality really has a few pieces to it. It's, it's know why you're doing something and what you want to focus on, right? Like what is your focus? work hard at it, like legitimately hard. I have this idea of earned versus perceived confidence. Like you and I, if we stepped into a ring together, right? Yes, I've done some rolling, I've done some stand-up, but you've done a lot more. You have the earned confidence from decades of training to get into the ring and you look at a guy like me, you're like, dude, I'm gonna do this, 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 I'm gonna take his back, I'm gonna choke his ass out, right? And you're, you've earned that, right? So when I went to the CrossFit Games for a lot of years, I'd wear a wristband and it would always say, it was always say earned on it. Because when I sat in that bus with everybody else and I was nervous and fatigued or whatever, I would, I would always look at my wristband and say, hey, look, I earned the right to be here. No one gave this to me, just like you did, just like the other guy did. And I think there's something about confidence and hard work where earn the confidence to walk into a meeting, to walk into the ring, to walk into a workout, knowing that you've put in decades of hard work. Because I could tell myself and I could pump myself up all I want before I go into the ring with you, but I'm probably going to lose because I can only slap myself and have his perceived confidence so much. So step number one is I know what you want to focus on, right? And why? Then step number two is work hard, like real work, like, like earned work, you know, not like this fabricated bullshit. Then switch gears between those different things. So you're, you're focused on something, you're working hard at it. Then just like a bike where you like switch gears based on your terrain, right? You're going uphill, downhill. I switch gears throughout my day. So this morning I got to the gym, hit up a jujitsu class. I was present, focused, worked hard. I'm here with you, present, focused, work hard. I go see my wife, present, work, focused, worked hard. Then I get on a flight. Well, on that, Unplugged we'll see what time. happens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the point being is I'm switching gears deliberately throughout my day. And so before I walk into the house, I'm going to tell myself, boom, switch a gear, right? And over time, this is something I've developed, right? It's just boom. And as I'm switching these gears, then, then I move on to my next focus, right? And something that's critical about what you're focusing on is I'm trying to focus on things that are in my control versus out of my control. We talk about that in the book, right? Where I had a mindset coach for the years I was competing 
that taught me two very valuable skills. One is to focus on what was in my control versus out of my control, right? Which I talk about in the book. The other is positive self-talk and how that can be trained through exercise and then it correlates into real life, which is great. And then this next step to, to AMRAP mentality is reevaluating what your focuses are on big scale. So it's what are you focused on, work hard at it, switch gears throughout the day, and then reevaluate based on life lessons. Like for you, you got hired on by Onnit. That was a reevaluation phase for you. We had to move your family. You had to reevaluate your focuses, why you're doing what you're doing, and shift. For me, as I was building the business and as I was competing as an individual, I had to reevaluate and go team instead of individual because I didn't have the time to dedicate. So I had to, I had to reshift my priorities. And then when Ava got sick, that was the biggest reevaluation of my life where I just reevaluated my focuses and then I went back to it, right? So it's identify what you want to focus on why, work hard at it, switch gears throughout your day, and then every now and then do these deep revaluations, right? Maybe it's once every six months, once every year, where it then reshifts your focuses. That's the premise of the book. And I pull from stories of investing in a thing called Batter Blaster at 16 to you know, starting my own clothing company called Faded Lifestyles and how it failed when I was 17, more business focus to competing. And then obviously with family, I, I pull from these different areas of my life to share this story um, with the audience or with the reader. That's beautiful, brother. I think it's so critical for people to understand that because we always have a focus or whatever, whatever we prioritize things in our life differently and that's okay. But ultimately one of the greatest things we can have is balance. Yeah. And that means that I'm not in my mind on a fight that I have coming up 24 seven when I'm around my kids and my wife and I'm not, obviously I don't fight anymore, but in that experience, you know, and just like you're talking about, you know, your wife's talking to you and you're fucking practicing hand walks for the next games coming Dude, up. It's tough. Right. So how do yeah. we be present? And also how do we give the most in each situation, whether that's with our kids and our, and our wives or, or significant other, or at the office, you know, we're not thinking about the argument we had the, the previous night. We can actually shift gears and be 100% present at the office, and then we do a good job there. But knowing that whatever our focus is, too, there has to be a shift. You can't yeah. live in one thing all no. day long. You can't constantly think about your body and your aesthetics and, oh, I really want a PR on bench tomorrow and, and all that shit. It's just fucking overwhelming, right? But to be present, that gives you the space. So when you do show up yep. for the thing you want to do, you actually have the mental capacity to be there for that too. Yeah. And I think it just, again, it just pulls from me struggling, right? I was struggling. You know, our business went from one gym to, I think at the time it had like 10 gyms and we had a hundred employees at the time. Right. And, and I was trying to win the CrossFit games and I was trying to be a good father. And, and that's where I really had to do a deep reevaluation and say, man, am I, am I busy or am I distracted busy? Like, like, mm. and so now it's more, it's not so, because how many people do you know that are busy, but they never get shit done. Right. Yeah. And so for me, it's about getting things to completion. Right. When I'm here with you, I look you in the eye, we are vi like, we're going at it. Right. And then when we're done, I'm going to do the same thing on the next thing I do. And I just find that the results have, have just spoken for themselves for me. I think I'm a better husband. I think I'm a better father. I think that um, our business is, is, has been thriving for years. And, you know, from a competitive perspective, I'm, I'm happy with where I left the sport. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm content with where I left and how I left because of Ava getting sick. It was, it was a no-brainer for me. To, to, yeah. to leave that. And I, it's, that's also a beautiful gift to not hold on too long. And I see that in my sport all the time with, I mean, fuck, some of the legends like Dan Severn and guy Don Fry. Uh, I don't know if Don Fry's still fighting, but I know Dan Severn was still fighting at over 55 years old. You yeah. Know? Like, like you got to be able to shift gears and have the next thing, whatever that yeah. thing is. Yeah, and that's why like competing can't define you. It needs to be one piece of who you are. And I'm sure you know about this. And for me, the decision was made for me. And, you know, it was, it was the easiest decision of my life. But I'm, but, uh, I'm grateful that more than just competing in CrossFit, I, I found definition for who I was, right? I was a father, I was a husband, I was a business owner, son, you know, whatever. And I think that when you get too wrapped up in one area, it's tough to pivot. And um, I'm, I'm grateful I was able to do that. Because when I got into CrossFit, I won the CrossFit Games in 2008, and I took second and third in 13 and 14. So like, that was a long span. I was in the game and I was, and I was on those podium spots the sport completely changed. You know, in 08, when I won, I won like 1500 bucks. 
in 2014, I mean, the prize purse was, you know, the guys are making, you know, hundreds of thousands, right? It's, it's totally different. And, um, you can get wrapped up in it. You can get, you can get caught up. You know, I always had to remind myself, why did I start this? I started because I loved it. I loved to train and I wanted to compete for the best. But once it started impacting the other areas of my life that were very important to me, I had to make a big decision. Yeah. You know, you touched on a huge topic there that I really try to reiterate. I remember when I, was, I think I was 18 years old, Fight Club first came out. Oh, yeah. And they talk about that, like, you're not your clothes. You're not your job. You're not your fucking car. And they just go down the list of all the ways we try to identify with the thing, with the external. Like, oh, this is what I am. And we use that to build the ego and build our, our self-identity. And it has nothing to do with that. And to that note, a lot of people identify with I'm so busy. I'm always got this shit going on and they will fill their fucking schedule up just to stay busy and fit that mold. And a lot of times they're stretched too thin. They're never good at anything because they don't really commit to it. And they constantly have that, the pity party of what was me. Like, look at how busy I am as, as almost like a, as a fucking martyr, you yeah. know, like, look what I, this is how hard I work. Oddly enough, like some of the most successful people I know are also the time are also the people that they never seem that, that crazy busy because they appropriately manage their schedule. Right. And, uh, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty fascinating. You know, I, I, I hope the book, I hope the book makes an impact on people. Um, aside from the charity raising, I mean, I mean, just them reading it and them just shifting a mindset of, of being present, being focused and seeing how those results, um, transfer over. And uh, I, I really hope it has an impact there. And I think if it does, then I'll feel I'll feel good about it. And I've already gotten great feedback about it. So I hope more people do. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Well, well, we'll promote it, obviously. Talk a bit about uh, the two podcasts that you have and uh, where people can find you online. Yeah. So the podcast um, we have, we have a business of fitness one. So if you're in the fitness business, if you're a coach, if you're an owner, it's really driven for that, right? Because that's, that's the business we're in, right? We're in the business of fitness. And so it's the business of fitness podcast. It's available on all channels. And then we're launching the AMRAP Mentality Podcast, um, I believe today, or depending on when this airs, it should already be out, um, called AMRAP Mentality. And basically what that is, is we had about 20 episodes of the business of fitness. And that was like really allowing me to dive deep into business because I love it. But I wanted to be able to interact with like my CrossFit buddies or people I think that are interesting like you and dive into subjects that are unrelated to just the business of fitness. We might be able to you know, touch it, but I want to be able to talk about, um, psychedelics and things like that, which have nothing to do with the business of fitness. Right. Yeah. And so we started this AMRAP mentality podcast and most of them are done like a 20, 30 minute timeline. And it's just, boom, we start a clock and we AMRAP a conversation, right. Using the mentality and just dive into different subjects. So it's AMRAP mentality podcast. Um, it's also a business of fitness podcast. And then the best place to find me is on Instagram, Jason Klepa, K-H-A-L-I-P-A. And, um, that's where I'm most active. Um, and my wife's stuff is Ashley Kleepa and she has the Ava's Kitchen and all that kind of stuff. And then we have the gyms. Our gyms are called NC Fit. If you live in the Bay Area, we'd love to come. We'd love to see you. And uh, yeah. Fuck yeah, brother. You crushed it. We am wrapped it. <laughs> we am wrapped the hell out of that. <laughs> Fuck yeah, brother. Thank you so much. It's right. been excellent having you. Thank you guys for tuning in and listening to the Human Optimization Hour podcast. Hope you enjoyed this one with Jason Kalipa as much as I did. If you did, leave us a five-star review. If not, keep that shit to yourself. And as always, you need 10% off supplements and foods. You go to onnit.com slash podcast. Boom, boom.